Hi, I'm Jesse. Welcome to Red Cloaks Radio, where we are counting down to see if the Massachusetts legislature will or will not pass the ROW Act. It is Friday, July 31st, which was supposed to be the last day of the session, but it's been extended, which overall, it gives us more opportunities to advocate. We've got a really exciting guest today. Joining me as co-hosts are... Karen Rose from the Boston Red Cloaks. Laurie Venninger from an indivisible group called Cape Cod Women for Change. Um, and today we're here with a Cape Cotter, Josh Mason, running for Barnstable District 1 against incumbent Tim Whalen. Welcome, Josh. Pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you're here. Let's just start out with, like, why did you decide to run? You've got an incumbent there, and here you are. Well, I, I'm originally from Cape Cod. I grew up here. Actually, I was born in Houston, Texas, relocated when I was about five years old, went through the public school system, DUI graduate, class of 2000. I then went to Hofstra University, studied film production, and uh, relocated to Los Angeles for a period of time where I worked in the television and film industry uh, before relocating back to the Cape uh, following the recession at the turn of the decade, back in 2010. Uh, at that point, I got into hospitality management and jumped into local politics. With respect to local politics, I noticed that there were a lot of things going on in the Cape. There were a lot of changes happening that weren't favoring, you know, young people that weren't people who live here year round. So um, I started to look into that a little bit more and wanted to get more involved. Uh, joined a couple of the, the town committees, the Yarmouth, the Dennis Town Committees, and then went on to run for state representative in 2018. Lost in the primary, learned a lot from that race decided to get uh, move a little further along, uh, get some more experience, uh, you know, quick rundown. I, I chair the Dennis Democratic Town Committee. I sit on the planning board, the Affordable Housing Trust. Uh, I'm a representative for the town and the Barnstable Home Consortium. Uh, I work within the Dennis Police Department within their cr uh, crisis intervention task force. Uh, and I also work with a, or an organization called the Community Partnership Committee to bring uh, substance use and mental health programs to the Cape for, for middle school and high school uh, kids. Most importantly, though, the all-encompassing thing here is the economy and building a year-round, robust, sustainable economy that affords opportunities to all 250,000 uh, people who live here within these communities year-round. Josh, how would you describe political atmosphere on the Cape right now? I'd say overall, uh, it seems to be that there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of excitement leaning towards, you know, the democratic side of things right now. I think it's, it's very obviously polarized and volatile, you know, with respect to feelings towards the GOP and how the Republicans have handled uh, a lot of these things through the Trump administration. It's amazing to me, though, that typically speaking, we focus a lot on local politics here and local politics is, is, is what people uh, focuses. Uh, but it's become this sort of geopolitical movement from Washington that's been uh, it, it's spread out and metastasized across the world. Um, and it's even trickled down to local politics. And I've seen it in town meetings, committee meetings, the way people react to questions and how they approach people. Um, it, it seems like that level of civility has been dismissed and been replaced with this, this vitriol and this anger and this frustration. And, and the, the thing is, is I feel that, you know, this person, this disruptor was elected in 2016, right? Because people were so angry and they, and they felt like they were left in the dark or they were being ignored. I feel like they're more angrier and they're in a worse position now than they were in 2016. So I think people are starting to come to that realization. We're in a very purple area here in Cape Cod, which means that we have a lot of independent voters. And the wonderful thing about that is we have open-minded individuals. We have open-minded people who are willing to, to listen to the candidates, to listen to the messages, and to vote for 
the best candidate based on what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Of course. In terms of where you are, you mentioned there's people who are off-season people, people who are year-rounders. Who are the people who tend to vote there? The majority of people in, in, in my district, at least, uh, you know, that, that, that vote in elections, um, you know, we'll be lucky. I've got about 41,000 constituents that live in the first Barnesville district. Um, it's amazing. We're about predominantly Caucasian, about 94%. So that leaves such a, a margin uh, for any minorities, obviously within the district. So it's, it's kind of unique, but that's, it, it, it's sort of piecemeal across the Cape within different districts. They have different scenarios. That just happens to be the first Barnstable district. Um, and, you know, we're lucky if we can get a turnout of about, uh, you know, 40% of that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm cheering uh, and, and, ex and exuberant if we can get 19,000 voters to show up to the polls uh, for this presidential election. Because typically speaking, when it's a midterm election or it's a down ballot, uh, or a special election, you know, you get a very marginal turnout. Um, but most people who live here year round, if we can get 19,000 of those uh, constituents to show up, then we're in a great position. We know there's a lot of issues that have really brought people together over the past four years. So if you just go back to the very beginning of 2017, there was a gigantic women's march in Boston with 100,000 and more people coming up because they were saying that women's rights had to be acknowledged. And it was an I mean, I don't know if anyone's call was there, but it was a life-changing experience for me to be there, to see so many people and think, wow, I'm not alone with my thoughts about equal pay or about reproductive justice or, you know, look at all these people who showed up, men, women. And uh, you've had a little bit of positive press from my friends because you have recently spoken out in support of the Roe Act. And I'm just going to be direct, but having a man speak about it is sometimes <laughs> more surprising for women. And honestly, what I'm curious about is this came up because there was a forum on the Cape and some other Democratic candidates weren't so supportive. So let me just cut to the chase. Can you tell me a little bit about your views, where you are in terms of the Roe Act? So when it comes to the Roe Act, um, I, listen, let's just start fundamentally with women's rights and, and um, reproductive access. I've always been in support of it. Um, you know, behind every strong man is an even stronger woman, right? And I think where we got to a moment, we got to a place in 2016, 2017, where it was in front of every strong man is an even stronger woman. And that's nice to see. It's, it, you know, that, that you're finally, that women are getting the opportunity to have their voices heard, um, that they are being viewed at uh, a little bit more equally uh, within society. And, you know, things aren't necessarily privileges anymore. Um, you know, I don't like that term. I don't, you know, for instance, I don't like how we have to go to the Supreme Court to have a ruling on LGBTQ to, to have uh, people within that community be considered equal. We are all equal. We're all human. We know that. that that's, that's fundamentally sound, right? Um, but with respect to the Roe Act uh, and, uh, you know, access to reproductive rights, I am completely in support of it. I have been through instances in my life personally um, where this stuff is hit close to home. I have a very comprehensive and deep emotional um, understanding of how this all works. Uh, I understand the system. I understand the gravity of it. I also understand the challenges and the barriers to entry for most women um, to, you know, acquire the care that they need to get to have the access. And certainly the system doesn't favor women in that regard. So, you know, the judicial bypass uh, mandate, for instance, is one of the biggest things for me where, you know, that needs to be abolished altogether. And it, it's strictly between the patient and the doctor. And there is no middleman. There is no in-between. 
Uh, that's, that's how this is supposed to work. Um, and whether or not, you know, we've got gender bias issues, obviously, um, you know, we can, we can bring this down to even our issues here on the South Coast with respect to maternity care. You know, to build, to, to, to grow the communities here in Cape Cod, we are marginalizing women, and this is sort of a, a form of uh, feminine racism, if you will, by sort of uh, pushing all of the poor communities and access to some of these maternity care and, and um, pediatric care units uh, further into more of the affluent areas. And it's like even hospitals and the care programs have been gentrified to the point where we've got women who are going to Home Depot parking lots and having babies and then calling police and fire and EMT to come to make sure that, that baby is delivered properly. It really, in the Commonwealth, right here in Massachusetts, that is appalling, that is anathema. Um, and so, you know, with respect to, to the Roe Act, it is, it is vitally important. It is, it is, this is a mandatory bill that has to go through and it's in, in the year 2020 here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which is one of the most forward-thinking and progressive states in the country we are still having this conversation. And, and I, I mean, again, appalling is not even the word, word to use. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling to me, but um, no, I, I will fight for this. I certainly hope it's still not on the table when I make it into the legislature. <laughs> I hope that this passes uh, ASAP um, and I'm going to continue to fight, support, make those calls, get the constituents on board, talk to my fellow delegation here in the Cape and even up in Boston. Um, we've got a wonderful lifeline of people here uh, that are in support of the Roe Act. Um, and like I said, this is just something that should have been done years ago. And, uh, it's, it's one of, it's one of my top priorities, uh, at this point. So. We also really hope it's passed. I mean, we had really hoped it would pass last fall. It's been such a long process for something that feels obvious. Just yesterday, the Senate did vote on a package that will address some racial disparity in terms of maternal health. But given that the 1974 law that's on the book literally defines pregnancy as being the mother of an unborn child, it's, it is, it's maternal health, I guess, then from 1974's perspective to be allowed to end a pregnancy under different circumstances that you make the decision on your own with your doctor. Because you had that background in Los Angeles and talked a little bit about the film industry, politics definitely, and you point to this as a little bit of theatrical performance. And we understand that and the red cloaks, because of course using the handmade imagery has its own bit of theater. I do want to turn a little bit of attention to this forum that took place in the Cape because it caught our ear. You were discussing with two other people the question about whether people supported the Roe Act and their different views. Jim Dever, who's running in a different district in the Cape, said some really interesting things that are just not factually correct. For people who are listening who didn't happen to hear it, for example, uh, he talked about being thrilled with the Supreme Court because Judge Roberts is, quote, always on our side, which was sort of surprising language if any, if he had read the opinions because Judge Roberts didn't decide based on being on our side about women's reproductive constitutional rights. He had a completely different line of thought, which not really actually supportive. Um, he also talked about maybe the consent thing could change. So instead of going in front of a judge, maybe people could go in front of a court magistrate, someone who's like an expert in the area. And somehow he missed doctors as experts in the, you know, the area. I'm only pointing to that because what is it like as a candidate when you're sitting there in a forum and you've got people who are running, not against you, they're running in parallel to you, but I'm thinking it must be interesting in your mind to think about the range of blue and you describe being in a purple place and we tend to think now as we listen, Massachusetts is very purple. Yeah, well, I mean, you can look to 
to Joe Manchin, right? He's essentially a democratic conservative, you know, and you look at some of these more moderate uh, candidates and more moderate people who are in the legislature, uh, both in a, a local and a federal level, you know, that, that lean a little bit more to the right. It makes you wonder sometimes uh, the misinformation, especially right now in, in, in the age we're living in, you know, where we can have a president that, that, that touts a, a, an ineffective uh, treatment for this pandemic or, you know, alien science and, and other bizarre, you know, theories and things that are out there. Um, but, you know, it is important that, you know, especially as a candidate, it's our job to educate the public. It's our job to ensure that the facts, that the data, that the, the scientific research that's been done by the professionals um, is in front of our constituents and our communities to make sure that they're getting streamlined the best possible and the most ac accurate information to, to ensure that, that their lives are, are taken care of, that their lives are enhanced, that, that they have the access and the knowledge to things that are necessary. With respect to this sort of being misinformed or, or maybe going by information that, you know, someone may have read and, and you know, again, for me, my rule always is, is that you need to go to five factual sources and have that information corroborated. And I'm saying five at the very least. I mean, if you can find 10 or 15, amazing, that's great. But uh, you know, if you can't corroborate it with at least five factual sources, then I consider that just an opinion at this point. So, so facts do matter. Um, I know that that's sort of been you know, driven home ad nauseum in the last few years, but it is true. And the fact that there's a war on a factual information with misinformation is, is strange to me. For me, I like to do my research. I'm very comprehensive. As you can see, I do talk a lot. So, uh, um, and I like to make sure that people are, are listening. I know that there's sort of nano attention spans anymore. Um, so if we can get it out in, in a line or two, that's the best. At that forum, Kip Diggs, who's running again in a different part in the Cape, he talked about his own experience as uh, becoming a father at 17. What, what I was left as an impression was that he really was going to vote against the Roe Act if he had to vote on it today, largely because of the teen consent, that he was concerned about when, which part of the pregnancy someone was having an abortion, which leaned towards maybe he didn't like other provisions as well. But this ability to have a personal experience and then separate that from letting other people have their own choices. It seemed to be a line that was very blurry there. So Lori, for this one, I'm turning to you because you were there live at the Zoom forum. What kind of reaction came out of this forum and what are some thoughts that people have now? I mean, Josh is speaking out so very clearly, which is great to hear. Has there been any move in the other candidates? I know we've tried to invite them to also share their views with us. I think uh, Josh probably felt it more than I did. It was a, a whirlwind almost immediately after that forum aired. And in the days following, I would say the, the outcry about um, the lack of knowledge or an understanding of the bill and the current laws that are on the books was, was so shocking and, and dismaying for so many Democrats, um, you know, and, and we were very disappointed and upset. And I think it's sort of, it was actually, I think it, it was a good thing because what it caused to happen was, well, it's, you know, obviously it's made Josh come out more, you know, clearly in his stance, um, but it's also coalesced the whole advocacy movement, you know, like we've got to do something. Yeah. We, so we've been reaching out um, to the candidates that spoke as well as to other candidates and 
I know that a lot of you at the Boston Redcoats have been reaching out to candidates across the state now to get these statements from prospective candidates out front and center on the social media. And so there's no more cover for the ignorance or the um, negativity about it. So I think that's a positive thing. Um, we've been somewhat successful at doing that, I think. Um, other candidates still are in the um, early learning phase. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, they're busy, they're men. I don't know what the reason is, but they haven't taken the time to familiarize themselves with the issues that affect 51% of the population. Um, and so our job as indivisibles and as advocates is to help with that. Um, we also need to help with the public because I think the public just assumes Massachusetts is blue, true blue. And, and they're not even aware that this debate is happening and that if Roe v. Wade falls at the national level, we go back to 1974, quite literally. Um, well, and uh, Josh, because we're on Zoom, we can see each other and I can see that you've wisely uh, physically reacted by shaking your head no, that it's not all men. And we've certainly found that in having you here is a good reminder because you're a man and you are very clearly informed and comfortable speaking about it. The reality is underneath reproductive justice, reproductive health, reproductive rights is abortion. And it's so much harder to talk about abortion. I'm better at talking about it than I was since last January when this was first launched at Sexual Help Lobby Day. There were these signs that said abortion is healthcare. And I'm like, I don't know if I can carry that sign. I mean, it's got the word abortion right on it. And I have Catholic relatives who have bumper stickers with the other perspectives point of view on it but i've finally figured out that i have to actually talk about it out loud and it seems like you've reached that point what helped you get more comfortable talking about something the economy is terrible right now but uh, yeah. what you, <laughs> the economy is terrible but like we talk about it how are you becoming more comfortable talking because we are looking for leaders well you know again let me let me just sort of circle back around to personal experience and it's a, it you know for me <clears throat> excuse me uh, for me, it's 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 difficult because I was in a very serious relationship when I first moved to Los Angeles uh, with someone who I'd met in college, and we relocated to LA together. And um, you know, she was on a very uh, potent, very serious pharmaceutical um, drug for dermatology, and uh, she, you know, was you know there was uh, practicing of, of of safe, you know, uh, but she ended up getting pregnant and, you know, we had to go to uh, obviously uh, OB, the doctor to figure out what that means while she's on some medication. And there was a very high probability that if she were to give birth, that this uh, child would be um, affected, mm -hmm. impacted um, mentally and potentially physically. Um, and so that, you know, and because of the probability rate, um, we had to make a decision, a heart-wrenching, a gut-wrenching decision and have discussions amongst ourselves um, about what to do. And ultimately the decision was to uh, abort, you know, that pregnancy. And it's still very, uh, I don't talk about it a lot. It's very difficult for me to talk about. Um, but I also, it gave me, 
it gave me a very uh, profound understanding of the decisions that women are making every day in this world um, with respect to uh, pregnancies and various situations um, related to health, healthcare, and why they're making those decisions. So I think the most salient point at the very heart of the Roe Act is trust in women. Trust in women to make the decision that's best for themselves. Trust that they can make decisions that's best for their lives, for their families. Um, and I think if you don't support the Roe Act, it means you don't trust um, the woman to make that decision herself. And uh, that to me, I just, I can't, I can't let that slide. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that because, because it is a very <clears throat> difficult, it's a difficult experience and it definitely stays with you. And it's yeah. a lot to put yourself out there. A lot of the people who have shared their stories over the past year, it's hard because they put their story out there. Mm -hmm. And with the taboo in society to never talk about it, we know people are involved in having abortions, but if nobody will talk about it, people um, keep holding themselves so distant from it and judgmental. So it's a lot for you to share it. Thank you. And yeah, well, very important, very important yeah. because otherwise people hold on to the judgment and they hold on to a false conception uh, you know, that it's a bunch of co-eds running around that are irresponsible, right? And it's really so much more than that. Yeah, and, and honestly, I know, you know, this is going public. I know that, you know, chances are someone's going to take this and use this against me and judge me for what happened in my past. But, you know, I, I, I can't change that. Um, I don't want to change that. That's who I am. Uh, we learn from these experiences in life. It's important. It's all about growth. You know, I mean, look at it this way. You've got devout Catholics out there like Nancy Pelosi, and she supports the Roe Act. She supports uh, women's reproductive rights. So it is possible to have things both ways um, in this world, in this society. And it's not about uh, religious beliefs or, or ideological beliefs. It's, it's strictly, it's healthcare. I mean, women's reproductive rights is, is healthcare and access is general healthcare. And that's how it should be considered right under that umbrella. I mean, it should not be segregated to a different subject line full stop. And it is, it often is because it's difficult for people to make that equation that abortion is healthcare. And I felt the same way as Jesse uh, in January of 2019 that I thought I'm not wearing that t-shirt, but uh, along the way, I can see more and more that is the, the equation that we have to uh, get more people to, under, to understand. Um, and it seems also, uh, no matter what, what's going on in the world, women's issues are always seen as, well, not now because we have a pandemic. Well, not now because there's Ebola in Africa. Well, not now because it's an election year and so forth. So there's always some reason to, uh, there were too many legislators, but not now. No, not now, honey. Just go sit down over there and we'll be back to you. So I appreciate you sharing your story because when we tell our stories, we realize we're not alone. And that gives us hope and power and creates a response and action. So we have to tell our stories. We have to go forward with them. And yours is very, very much appreciated. Thank you. In the last little bit of time we have, we first thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it makes a big difference to get to know candidates who are running and we trust that if you were elected 
the Roe Act would be passed already, it would have been more of a priority a year ago or 18 months ago when it was first introduced, and it would be kind of a no-brainer. Um, also really appreciate your putting the light on that while I do focus on it being about a pregnant person's choice, um, for so many people that I know, the man who is involved in the pregnancy is often deeply and passionately attached to the decision as well in a supportive way as as you were and often men's voices frankly get left out of this conversation so it it makes a big difference to hear really that's a good check for me check i've been checked <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, we would love to uh, follow this race and, and see how you're doing. We have reached out. We're reaching out to Tim and if he would like to speak, but we know that he's been out there and has not shown any support for the Roe Act for 18 months. So that does speak to us already. Um, we have that information and voters do too. The other thing that you opened with is how complex the work you will have to do once elected is. How getting jobs, securing mental health, making sure that there are hospitals up and running where people can access them. It is a really hard job and we know we really are focused on this one issue. So it's a wise person who can go this deep into something very thoughtfully and who could be trusted to manage the wide range of things that would be on your plate. No, I appreciate that. And, and again, this, this is something, it's not, it's not an issue. That's a negative way of looking at it. It's a priority and it's a priority that we get this done and it's a priority that it becomes part of the system and who we are and how we live our daily life. Thank you so much for being here today, Josh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Yes. Thank, thank you for you. having me. I really Thanks, appreciate Josh. it. This was wonderful. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Bye.